Hey guys, welcome to our midweek. This is very different. Uh, I thought it might rain, and I know I look pretty corny sitting in this little window in a little kid chair, and uh, I know you're all laughing at me. I, I still can't see you because of your window glare, So, um, but I know what cars you're in, and uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, Let's uh, open in prayer. This is going to be short and sweet. Some of you have kids in the car, and uh, we're going to continue through the gospel uh, of Luke. We've uh, covered a lot of ground so far. We're about two-thirds of the way through, and uh, I know the Lord has something for us to hear tonight. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word and how meaningful it is to us, Lord. We thank you for your love, Lord, that you created us, and you didn't walk away and just uh, to watch what you created burn and fall apart, but you stepped into it yourself. Lord, you're not a far-off, distant God. You're not just theology. You're not just an idea. You put on flesh. Lord, you became a person and stepped into this world to save us. And the fact that we call you Savior, Lord, it's a reminder that we can't save ourselves. Lord, we can't change ourselves. We can't just become new, Lord. That's your work, Lord. That's what only you can do. And Father, we thank you for the change you've made in our lives so far, and we pray that you would continue. Speak to us tonight, each one of us, Lord, that's gathered here. In your name, we pray. Amen. So guys, would you open up to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. That's as far as we've made made it. Um, really incredible uh, look at uh, what some would call heaven and hell tonight. Um, and just to give you an idea of how far we've come, you know, all of the context here, what's the scene? What's going on? Well, Jesus is was invited over to a ruler of the Pharisee, not just a religious leader, but one of their rulers of the 6,000 or so Pharisees in Israel at that time, those that called themselves the separated ones. One of their rulers, so very powerful, very wealthy, invited Jesus over to his home, and Jesus came. He responded to that invitation. And it started out, you guys remember, chapter 14. I mean, we've been there for chapters, guys at this dinner, at the Pharisee's house, his disciples with him. And one of the first people that we hear of at this dinner is a man, an uninvited guest with dropsy, his body bloated with fluid, all swelled up. And he came and the Pharisees were just watching to see if Jesus was going to heal him on the Sabbath. That, that, was, that was not permissible for them to do. Like, that was work. And, and Jesus healed him and sent him away and said, you know, which of you having a donkey or an ox that falls into a pit will not immediately pull him out, even if it's on Saturday? Come on, guys. And we, uh, we went through other things as well. Jesus telling the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And he really is hammering these guys um, over a lot of different things. Uh, last uh, Thursday night, as Jesus continued with these conversations, he spoke of an unjust steward, a, a, a manager that had been um, really dishonest with his master, 
and was called to account um, by his master. Just a little bit of recap. And when he knew that he was going to be basically brought to the chopping block, he wasn't going to have a job anymore. Um, he took matters into his own hands. Seeing the coming future, he went out and reduced uh, what people owed his master so that they would receive him into their homes when he no longer had a job. He was, he was too old to dig. He was too ashamed to beg. So he resolved that he would do whatever he could to be well-received after his current situation came to an end. And Jesus is not there, there saying, look, it's good to be dis dishonest. It's good to be immoral. It's good to be a liar and a cheat and, and, and rip your boss off. But he was saying that this man saw the future coming and took preventative action. Like he knew that the end was coming. He knew that he'd made mistakes. He knew that he'd ripped off his boss and he did something. He had his eyes on the future and he was wise enough, shrewd enough, Jesus said, to know that he took present action while he, he still had some control, some, some, some power, if you will, to protect himself in the future. And Jesus is talking to men that have that very same opportunity, just like we all do, that very same possibility that we can just say, there's an end coming to my life. There's, there's an end in sight. And, you know, we're kind of conditioned in our culture to think that that is just never going to happen. But the reality of our lives here is that someday... There will be an end. And Jesus, speaking to these guys, wants them to think about what are we doing to invest in what's after this life? What are we doing in preparation for the next? You know, in one sense, every Pharisee, every disciple, everyone here, I mean, Glenn just pulled up, but Glenn too, you know, every one of us has a master that we have not always lived uh, you know, we haven't lived perfectly under his leadership. We haven't, we, you know, we have a creator and we, we're not perfect human beings. And there'll be a day of accounting. So what can we do? Jesus is, is really speaking to these guys about what we can do to prepare for what is coming, what is ahead. You know, using what we have presently to secure a good future. And you know, he began to speak of money. One thing, you know, just as we go into this tonight, and I know this is kind of a long uh, context or to set the scene, but I think it's worth it. One of the things that he said, and he, it's in verse 9 of chapter 16, he said, make friends for yourself by with the money or with whatever possessions you have now, for when you fail, or, you know, some translations say when your money fails or when it fails, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Use whatever you have here to invest in what is eternal and what is coming. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy, guys, to think about, but everything, every physical possession, every dollar bill we have will fail. It will fail. And there's an end to all of this. You know, as I talked about on Sunday, you know, that, that analogy that Jesus and uh, Paul uses in Scripture of the return of Christ is like a baby waiting to be born, you know, and we can look forward to that coming new thing 
and be excited about it. Be thrilled about a new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom where there's no brokenness, where there's no sorrow, where there's no pain, where there's no death, where there's no sin, where there's nothing that tempts us anymore. You know, we can look forward to that. But this world does not look forward to the coming of Christ like we do. They're terrified that everything that we have and love and hear, and the things that we do enjoy here, our family, our friends, our life, that it will all come to an end. And to be honest, every one of them through thousands of years that does not believe in Jesus Christ or did not look forward to the promise in faith of a Messiah, they, they've been let down. Their money, their life, their health, their everything eventually comes to an end. And then what? And Jesus is really, you know, he's, he's not just hating on the Pharisees, calling them out, although he is. He's really doing this out of love. And he tells them, you can't serve God and money. You have to make a choice. Everyone has to make a choice. You know, uh, you can't serve God and power. You can't, you can't serve God and be for his glory and also at the same time for your own kingdom and your own glory. Well, Jesus continues and he's going to speak to these guys very, very bluntly one more time. And, and again, just remember, this is, they're around, if you will, a dinner table, lots of people there. Uh, you know, at least all of his disciples are there. There's Pharisees that hate him. There's Pharisees that are quietly, maybe even sympathetic toward him, but they're not speaking up. I just want you to consider the scene. And in verse 19, Jesus starts and he says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was late, laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, this is gross, guys, but the dogs came and licked his sores. Okay, so if we stop right there, right? Where's Jesus going to go with this? Well, we're going to see. But already we have these two people, and I, I'm not going to say characters because they're not characters. Look, guys, this is a very, very interesting thing that Jesus is talking about. This is not a parable. He never calls it a parable. No other parable in the Bible, like, you know, a story, a heavenly story with an earthly meaning, that's a good definition of a parable, but a parable is an analogy or a way to better understand the kingdom of God or who Jesus is. Or, but this is not like, he's not like, hey, let me tell you a parable. And in this story, he's going to name one of the people. No other parable in the entire Bible has someone that's named. So may I suggest to you that Jesus is sitting with a bunch of rich men, which chapter 16 says the Pharisees were lovers of money and they hated what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus says, hey, there's a certain rich man. And at his gate, there was a man, a beggar named Lazarus. And we're going to find out as he tells this story that this rich man had five brothers. Could it be... And I think this is the case. This is my personal belief. Could it be that one of those Pharisees had a brother who had passed away who had a Lazarus that begged at his gate? I don't think this is a parable, not for one second. 
I don't think the details that Jesus is going to give us about heaven and hell, and we'll, we'll, we'll describe some of that, I don't think these are just like things he's throwing out that are made up. This is a story. This is, this is an account. That's the best word for it. And he starts off this way. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That means he ate whatever he wanted. He dressed however he wanted. He had change upon change upon change of clothes. And he contrasts that man and his lifestyle with another one. He says there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. And Lazarus was full of sores who laid, who was laid, not even laid, he was laid, he was put to lay at the rich man's gate, and he desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, look, I, oh, you guys got your windows rolled up. Anyway, I wish I could just hear your voices, but which one would you rather be? If that's all we know, we all, here, Jason's rolled down his window. I know what, Jason would like to be clothed in purple and eat whatever he wants. T-bone steak, yeah. So T-bones and uh, just whatever, you know, all of us from this vantage point would say, yeah, I don't want dogs licking my sores. Okay? We know who we'd want to be. And that's no, I don't even know if that's shame on us right now. We don't have all of the information. And so Jesus goes on after describing these two men. He describes the end of their life here. In verse 22, he says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now hold on, we're going to talk about that. Sounds weird, I get it. Uh, not the way that I would ever refer to heaven or a place of comfort or, you know, we'll talk about it. Now, the rich man also died and was buried. So these two men, very different lives down here, both die. A, uh, the, the, the poor man, the beggar, notice, and I love this detail. This is coming from the mouth of Jesus. You know, you ever wonder what angels do, what they, they're ministering spirits, they're created by God, they worship God, they do a lot of different things. They do things that we don't always understand. But one thing that I love about this story, it mentions that angels are going to carry Lazarus, who we're going to find out is a righteous man, because of his faith, not because of his works. He's going to be carried by angels to a place of comfort. Now, I like that. Because when I think about the end of my life, I mean, I'm always terrified. Uh, this is just me, me and Glib or whatever. I'm always terrified that I'm going to go out some dumb way. Like, anyway, I'm not going to chase that. Like, people are going to, anyway, let's leave that right alone. But here's what I, what I believe. I know angels are involved in my immediate transport because to be absent from this body, to die, is to be present with the Lord. The Bible says. Another thing, you remember when in Mark 5 where Jesus goes into a little 12-year-old girl's house and she's just died or her dad, Jairus, is like, you know, you can't do anything. And he's like, put everybody out, just you, you know, mom, dad. And I think it was Peter, James, and John, they went in. And he goes over to the little girl and he says, Talia, 
uh, Talitha Kumai, little girl, I say to you, get up. And she woke right up. The first thing this little girl saw when she woke was Jesus' face. And you remember what Jesus said? He said, are you hungry? You want something to eat? And, you know, maybe it's smug, maybe it's glib, maybe it means nothing to you. I just think of angels ministering to us in that way, in transporting. And then the goodness of Jesus, you know, waiting for us to wake up there. Okay, that's a little beside the point. So it was when the beggar died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now, see, in the Old Testament, you know, in the Psalms uh, especially, we hear a reference to the grave, which what was called Sheol. And what I what I want you to understand is that, you know, in the Old Testament, before Jesus went to the cross, let's have that as like the defining moment, the moment when things changed. There was death for everyone. Death reigned in this world. But when someone died, and this may, this may, you might think I'm making this up, but re- just read your Bible. It's there, you know. When someone died, there were wicked and there were righteous men and women and people. And really, death, Sheol, was comprised of two. You could call it compartments or partitions. There were two realities after physical life. There was the grave. And there was a place of comfort, which in this, Jesus calls it Abraham's bosom. That sounds weird to us, but like it's like a hug. It's like a place of comfort. It's where Abraham is. It's where Abraham, you know, the, the, the father of the Jews was. It was a good place. And then there was a not-so-good place. In fact, not good at all. It was called Hades, or, or we, we might call that hell, right? Understand this, that those that were in Abraham's bosom were waiting for Jesus to die on the cross and take, Ephesians 4 says, captivity captive and release them and to be, in, in, in a sense, there was something better coming for them. And those that were in hell or in Hades, right, Understand, you know, sometimes we simplify this. I just want you to be, you know, biblically literate. Sometimes we say heaven or hell. And right, hell, or this place that, um, you know, uh, the rich man is going to go, is a place of torment, but it's not a place of finality. It's a place of waiting until the second death, which is talked about in Revelation, where people are brought before the great white throne and judged and those that do not believe in Jesus Christ and love him will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that is a different, like it's like there's hell and then there's something even worse. And for the righteous back then, before Jesus, there was a place of comfort called Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus went to the cross and he died and he paid for all sins and that price was paid, there was something even better for them. And for the believer now, that still is true. Do you understand that? You know, sometimes we talk about heaven in this, it's this far off, like mysterious, like mysterious, erythro, you know, like we're, we're floating around. We're like, no, it's a physical, real place. In the end of Revelation, heaven comes down to us. A new heaven and a new earth are created and given to man. Remember, dressed, adorned like a bride, prepared for her husband. 
Like it just keeps getting better for the believer and it just keeps getting worse for those that rejected the free gift of God's love and forgiveness. And that's the reality. You know, um, Lazarus had a pretty crummy life, didn't he? And the rich man had a pretty good lifestyle. But understand, lifestyles come to an end. There's, there's your life, and then there's eternity. <sighs> so it was that the beggar died and was, bar- was carried by the angels to this place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. You could say it's heaven, just you know, for simplicity, but this place of comfort, Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. But here's the contrast in their death, right? And being in torment in Hades, being in torments, excuse me, plural, in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom or, or comforted by him. You know, one of the scariest things to me, and this is not like the shock and awe service, just so you know, but it's just right here. Jesus said it. This man was in torment. He'd had such a good life, but now, because he had rejected his Messiah, because he had not believed in the free gift of God's grace. He had lived for himself and he had died and taken nothing with him. There was no preparation made for the next life. And now he's in torments. But look, he still is conscious and he's still filled with regret. He lifts up his eyes. He's thinking and he sees Abraham afar off. He could see and know what he had lost. And yet there was no way to get it back. You know, what's crazy, guys, is that when we're in this life, time can be redeemed. Anything can change. You know, I can go to God today and say, I've been a terrible husband. I've been a terrible dad. I haven't lived for you. I've lived for myself. I've, I've li- everything has been about me my whole life long. Change me, Lord, right now. In this life, we have that opportunity. We can redeem the time. But apparently, and, and I don't even think apparently, truly, Jesus is telling of a place where you have all of those regrets, but you lack the opportunity to change anything, and even comfort. Like he is aware that someone has it good and there is comfort somewhere and he is not comforted. He's in torment. That is terrifying to me. And it should be. That That's the right response to it. Being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in this place of comfort. And, and the rich man he not rich anymore. He's impoverished now. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, he, you know, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. 
you know, this rich man realizes that, you know, he just calls out for some kind of relief. He asks for just the tip, like a droplet of water to cool his tongue. I don't think Jesus is just trying to wax poetic here. Like, I don't think he's trying to scare anybody. He's just telling it like it is. And this man it says, this is not a cool place. I'm not here with my buddies. We're not having a rock and roll party. This is terrible. Would you just give me a drop of water? I'm tormented in this flame. You know, when we think about, like, you know, there's what we believe up here, and then there's, there's what is real to us, like what we act upon. And that's really faith, is action upon belief. But, you know, if we were in the position where, you know, and we're not, we're so not, but, you know, 70 years ago in Germany, right, they start rounding up all the, the Jews, right? And you've got buddies that are Jews, and you're hearing rumors, and even more than rumors, you're hearing reports that Jews are being rounded up and sent to concentration camps where they're killed. And if you believe those reports or rumors, how would you act? You'd go and tell all of your friends, look, this is serious. You need to get out. You can hide with me. We'll get you out of town. We'll get you out of the country. We'll do whatever it takes to preserve your life. And in the same way, you know, when, we, when we're hearing about the reality of torment and hell, when we're really hearing about how bad it is, and this is not even how bad it gets for those that reject Jesus, but does it compel us to action? Do we go and tell people that we know? I'm looking out. Some of you guys do. You're dead serious about this. This is real to us because Jesus said it's real, and that's enough for us to take action upon. You know, I love... I like how Abraham responds. Abraham, in verse 25, says to this rich man, he says, son. He says, son. Abraham doesn't hate him. He doesn't speak condescendingly. He speaks with almost pity. He says, son, son, remember that in your lifetime, in your lifetime, you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, his evil things. He had a hard life and you had a good life, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. You see, that rich man's choice to live for himself and to live for this life in the here and now was respected by God. He made a trade. And once again, I, I just want to say this again. A lifetime does not mean eternity. Lifetime is separate. It does not equal eternity. We, I was thinking about how to say this, and I, I, probably, I probably should have thought a little more because you know, maybe it won't come out right, but if somebody we, we just don't realize how may I back away from that. We don't realize how short our lives here are in light of eternity, in light of forever. And this man said, no, I want it all now. I don't care about the future. And you know what? Lazarus, unfortunately, had a hard life and probably asked hundreds of times why. He loved God. He did his best, and yet he suffered, suffered, suffered. We don't have the answers to all of those questions. But on the other side, it was like a moment in time for him and for the rich man. Abraham says, you made your choice. 
You had it good in your life, and Lazarus had it hard, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And he goes on, he says, Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. scary you know people people in Hades people in hell people in that place of torment they want out but they can't get out and the rich man says then he said verse 27 I beg you therefore father that you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them. Send, Abraham, would you just send, I'm begging you, would you send Lazarus back from the dead to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he could go and testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let your brothers hear what God's word already has to say. And the rich man said, he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. You don't, you don't understand. If somebody comes back from the dead, don't you get it? They will definitely change. They will definitely turn. They won't live for themselves like I did. But Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, and that's, you know, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that basically is like us saying, if they don't hear, read, and understand the Old Testament, if they don't understand and get that through all of Scripture, all of the Old Testament, there was a lamb promised that would take away the sin of the world. There was a deliverer promised. There was a coming kingdom promise. There was a, a, a one that would forgive sin, one that would pay a ransom and buy us back, one that would be the scapegoat for humanity and take all that we deserved, one that would bring healing to all nations. You know, this is the story of the entire Bible, especially the Old Testament. And, and, and you know, this guy, he's saying, oh, send somebody back from the dead. And Abraham says, no, they have the Old Testament. They have what is written in God's word. Let them read that. And he says, but you don't understand, Abraham. Send a man back from the dead and they will believe. And guys, this is kind of like, this is a punchline that really Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. But these men here, although they want to kill him, they, they're not seeing the fullness of this like we see, you know, some two thousand years later right Jesus is saying it doesn't matter even if a man comes back from the dead if you reject God's word if you reject what it so clearly testifies of our need for a savior and a rescuer if you reject that it won't matter what God does you won't receive it if your heart is so hard you know, to God giving you the gift of salvation, 
It doesn't matter what he does, what miracle you see, you won't accept him. You won't love him. You'll hate him. You know, John, in the Gospel of John, it starts this way. It it says that Jesus was the light of this world. And, and, the, and, and life was found in him. It says that the word of God, you know, Jesus himself, he became flesh and he came down to this world. People touched him. They talked to him. They saw him. They watched him. And for those that rejected what scripture, the scriptures they had, which was not the old and the new, they just had the old. For those that rejected what the Old Testament said, they watched and I'm going to confuse you know, some of you, but they watched a man like, remember Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, you know, another Lazarus, the only other one in scripture that we know of. They watched him be, you know, after four days in a tomb, be brought back to life. And these same men, instead of saying, oh my gosh, it's true. God, he's real. He's really God. He's amazing. We should listen to everything he says. They desired even more. They wanted to kill him and Lazarus. I just want to remind you guys, if, if there's really anything that I, I kind of picked up as we were reading this, you know, it's the reality of this lifetime coming to an end and an eternity starting where our choice here and now in this lifetime is respected and is set in stone forever. And Jesus says that we're not waiting for some miracle or some experience or situation. We shouldn't wait for those things to say, when that happens, I'll believe. But instead, we should pick this up and read it for ourselves and say, God, if you're real, you will show me through your word. Even if you just had the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, Abraham said, let them read Moses. Let, let all your brothers read Moses, you know, the, the law, you know, the first five books, and all the prophets. Let them read the Old Testament, and they'll see their need for a Savior, and they'll come running to me, and I'll take them in. You know, I kind of want to end with, you know, and you can think of the scene, guys. You know, as Jesus is talking about this rich man, and the poor beggar Lazarus that was the gate. I, I don't know, you know, maybe there was a Pharisee there where, where this rich man was his relative or his brother or whatever. He knew of him. And these guys are being cut to the heart, I believe. You know what's interesting to me? During this whole dinner conversation, Jesus has talked both to the Pharisees and to his disciples. And what's really cool to me is that some of these Pharisees, very few of them, but just some of them, would actually come to trust and know that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God come to earth to save man, to light up our life and change us forever to give us a gift that we would never deserve, to set us free from the bondage of sin, to make what we, you know uh, us that were captives, you know, to set us free from the slavery of sin, the wanting to do what is right, but the inability to ever fulfill even what we know we should do. Oh, in John 3, you don't have to turn there, but you, you, you know what it says. In verse 16, it says, God loved the world. 
He loved all of this, all of this mayhem, all of these people, all of us that have have really, we've taken this gift of life and we've made such a mess of it. He loved the world that he, he makes a choice. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, guys, it goes on. Jesus said, For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send him here to just, you know, destroy it all. He sent him here so that the world through its Savior, through him, could be saved. The one who believes in him is not condemned, not condemned to death. You understand like condemnation is like you're going to die, it's coming and there's no way out. The one who believes in him is not condemned. But listen, he who does not believe, Jesus didn't come to condemn him for he was condemned already. He was already in deep trouble before Jesus even showed up. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. You know, this is what accuses our souls, even more than just our sin, that the light has come into the world. God himself stepped into the world. He showed himself to be good and pure and loving and kind and merciful and and forgiving. Eva! All of those things, the light showed up. There was nobody that ever lived a life like Jesus Christ. And he showed up, and you know how this world treated him? They rejected him. In in 3.19 of John, it says that men loved darkness more than they loved light because their deeds were evil. They would not let go of their old lifestyle. It doesn't matter what they were said. It doesn't matter what they were shown. It doesn't matter what miracles they saw, how many lepers they saw healed, how many dead people raised. It doesn't matter that Jesus came off, you know, out of the tomb. It doesn't matter. They love darkness. They're in love with the dark and they won't let go of it. For everyone practicing evil that, that just, that makes that their lifestyle hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I love this next verse, and here's where we end, guys. You know, you have the rejection of the gift of God. Every good and perfect gift is from God. And the best gift that he gave us was the gift of freedom through believing in his Son. If we are his disciples, John 8 says, we will abide in his word. We will love his word. We will, we will find him in his word. And the truth that's here will set us free. But everyone who practices evil hates the light. They hate him. And they don't come. Because if they do, they'll be exposed for who they are. They can go on believing that they're a pretty good or a pretty all right or an okay person because they never hold this standard up to their life. You know, there's something very hard about being a Christian 
It's that I'm not okay by the world's standards. I'm actually a pretty good guy by the world's standards. But when I pick up my Bible and read it every morning, God always finds things. And it's not like he's beating me up. He's like a father teaching me how to be more of a man, more, 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 more of what he wants. I need that correction. And he reveals that thing. I don't want to, I'm not running and hiding from him anymore. But people that hate the light, they run, they hide because they don't want to be exposed for who they really are. But I love this next verse, guys. And like I said, we'll end here. But he who does the truth, he comes to the life. He comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Now, I like what it says there. You, you know, there's, there's, it's not just about saying what's true. It's, it's he who does the truth. He who does the truth, he comes to the light. The man that says, I cannot live this way anymore. I need to change. I need to keep changing. I need to be saved. I need the shame and the guilt to go away. And he makes a choice to come to the light, knowing that it will expose him, but coming anyway. He will be forgiven and set free, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. The man who does the truth and comes to the light will be set free by God, saved by the Son. Guys, this is kind of a a chilling thing that Jesus said, but understand that his heart was to pull any one of these Pharisees that wanted to come, that recognized that their riches were going to fail them, their lifestyle here was going to come to an end, and that they had no assurance of everlasting life. He was it, It's like he's throwing out a lifeline to a man drowning and saying, look, dude, you are drowning. And some say, no, we're not, and they would drown. But some of them, you know, like a Nicodemus perhaps, would say, you're right, I am. All my life I felt this way. And they would latch a hold of what he said, and it would change their life. They would understand that the word of God testifies of Jesus, and that if we put our faith there, we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven, kept safe for us, and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? That's the kind of kingdom that I want. I don't have that kingdom here. I don't think anybody here does, right? But there's a kingdom coming that cannot be shaken. And that's the one that I want to prepare for. And I hope you do too. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I know it's uh, different and it's somewhat awkward. Lord, and uh, we thank you for holding off the rain. Lord, thank you for each person that came out tonight to hear your word. I hope they understand better what you were saying, what this story or this account was all about. And they understand that this is all, Lord, for us to apply to our lives. It's all for us to make choices and decisions based upon the truth of your word. I pray that we would, Lord. I need to every day. Lord, to reset my mind on things above and live in light of what you say and not just what I think and what I feel. That, that's, that's, the, that's disastrous, Lord, when I do that. And Lord, we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for this opportunity to fellowship even you know, with each other from car to car. And we pray this in your precious name.
Amen. Hey, guys, grace and peace. I have a couple of announcements. Um, you, you guys may... Uh, let me shut this off real quick. Um, so, my couple of announcements. Obviously, you guys saw that the... Um, our governor, uh, you know, changed some things. Tomorrow's a kind of a new day, new system, and been looking hard at the law. You know, we're still going to do a drive-in service on Sunday. Um, it is my plan to have restrooms available, um, and I believe that we have every legal right to do that. Not like we're all going to go inside and hoard the bathroom, but it's an obstacle to people coming to a service if they don't even have a restroom here. And we'll take care of sanitizing. You know, we'll have deacons you know, covering the door and sanitizing things down. But you, you guys are the Lord's people, and you can take care of yourself in that way and take care of your kids in that way and do it right. You know, that's, and I'm, I'm off air, off Facebook, but that's a joke. We're, we're not going to have church and not have a place for people to use the bathroom. Um, so uh, that is one change that we're going to make. Uh, hope that's agreeable to you. It's agreeable to me. And, uh, you know, there may be a few other changes as we look at the law and we look at how um, what we can do and what's permissible. Um, please pray for wisdom. You know, there's still I, I know uh, one other thing I just want to say, and I, and I don't I don't want to waste your time. But, you know, uh, one of the things I just caution you because and, and, and you throw this right back at me because there's there's this feeling of frustration, like we can't meet in the way that we've always met. And isn't this annoying? And isn't look. I can remember reading about believers and political dissidents in North Korea. When they got found out, they weren't allowed to gather. And when they were discovered, they were blown to bits by, no, I shouldn't even say how. It's just, we do not have it that bad. This is really good. We can do this publicly. We got nothing to complain about. But we got to be creative in how we gather and how we continue to do what God has called us to do. So, you know, pray for wisdom for me and pray for wisdom for this church. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you're here. And, you know, take some time now. Um, you know, go, go see each other car to car, um, staying in your vehicles for now. And, and eventually things will change and for the better. So God bless you. I'm going to pack things up here and I'll be out in a minute walking around the parking lot. But good to see you guys.